Hello, and welcome back to the Improv Teachers. I am your host, Lauren Morris. This week, we welcome Will Hines. Will is an actor, writer, and director currently living in Los Angeles. He is a performer and teacher at the UCB Theater. He has been in numerous TV shows. Uh, He's directed and been in videos for Funny or Die and UCB Comedy. He also is the author of the book, How to Be the Greatest Improviser on Earth. I had such a great time talking to Will. In fact, many times he was asking me questions that I typically ask of our guests. So that was a lot of fun. I really hope you enjoy this episode. And thanks again for listening to The Improv Teacher. Do you remember the very first class you ever taught? Yeah, the first class I taught was a level one UCB class in the fall of 2004. Uh, This guy, Owen Burke, had been teaching it, but he booked some job that was going to take him away. They gave and, uh, you know, I was really excited to do it, um, and I, uh, I just tried to use a lot of the exercises. We did not have a set curriculum at that time at the UCB, so it was very open, and so I just tried to use a lot of the exercises that I had liked in my rehearsals with teachers, and I wanted to have people have the feeling of getting up a lot. Uh, I'm sure my curtain students would be jealous of this, but I tried to talk less and have them do more. Mostly because I didn't have faith in my ability to have much to say. But I was like, at least I can just get him moving. I also tried to uh, – or I, didn't, I did not baby them in terms of easy stuff. I was like, oh, we're just going to start doing scenes right away. Because I thought – I, re- I remember being excited when that would happen, when there was the feeling of doing stuff that felt a little hard. No, you know, I wasn't hard in my notes or my assessment, but it would just be like, here's a suggestion, do a scene which for somebody in level one is intimidating and uh, hard. And I, uh, I really liked it. And the class was really, really good. The UCB was still a pretty small theater. So the people who would wander in and take classes, were they were strange enough to have found improv classes at a time when that wasn't a big deal. So this, they were pretty a cool group. When you were asked to teach that, um, did you have any training? Like, did they, I mean, cause now, um, a lot of the bigger institutions have like train the trainer programs or they have like, you have to shadow a teacher, et cetera, et cetera. No, I had, no, I had no training. I, uh, I, I shouldn't have been teaching. I, um, at, you, informally the process would be at the UCB theater, you would coach teams. And then if you were a popular coach, you'd get asked to teach. That's very informally how it would work. But I, uh, I wasn't even coaching that much. Uh, one of the house teams asked me to coach, and uh, and I had never coached before, and so I coached coached them. But that's not so strange. That that would happen. But um, on on the team was a woman named Julie Brister who thought I was a really good coach, and she recommended me as a teacher to the person who ran the school, and they hired me. And I'd only been coaching for like three weeks. I think if they knew that, they wouldn't have hired me. I've taken a lot of classes. I've taken like 20 classes at UCB between like improv and sketch. So I had, and I was on a team and getting coached every week by people. And I had a practice group that was coached. So I had, I, I had as a student seen a lot of teachers and coaches and stuff like that. So I was a very experienced student, which isn't the same thing, but. I had witnessed a lot of people's styles. Did you, when you taught that first class, like a lot of us, 
not just like, it's like a lot of us, I find a lot of us who teach, it's just like when we do improv for the first time, also we get that teaching bug and we're like, Ooh, I could do this for a long time. I did really like it. Yeah. It was really fun. And then you, how long did you, you taught there a really long time, didn't you? I still teach there. Okay. Are you teaching in LA now? I I teach in LA now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And that was the fall of 2004. And then I, in, I taught there continually. And then in 2009, I was running the school in New York. And then in 2014, I moved here and I'm no longer running anything, but I still teach a class. Okay. So when you were running the school part of it, did you have to, uh, was there a curriculum created or did you have to come in and, and recreate a curriculum or? It was already a curriculum. By that time, there was one that had been written, a guy named Joe Wenger, uh, the curriculum together based on one that this guy, Chris Gethard, had put together, although Joe expanded it and, and fleshed it out a great deal. So that was, that was already in place, although part of my job was making suggestions or, you know, pitching changes to it and stuff like that. Joe Wenger was still my boss at that time, and he, and he was in charge of the curriculum. The two, the two of us were the main people in charge of it, though. Because I think that helps uh, for a lot of people to hear that. Um, so, because like for myself personally, like we are absolutely uh, in a growing phase of our curriculum. We uh, recently, because we were so small, just starting off, we very old school iOS three class curriculum, and recently just expanded to five. Um, so I think it's really helpful for people to hear about like when you would have to go back and make some suggestions and stuff, what were things that you would look at uh, to determine that, that, that changes needed to be made? My gut based on what I thought was working or not and what was missing in the upper levels. One of the, you know, like I do, I was teaching a lot. So it would just be my experience. I'd, you know, I'd be following the curriculum. This exercise never works or I don't know how to do it or this exercise works, but the thing this, I think what would cut out to make room for this stuff like that. Or it's like as a teacher, I wish I had more freedom here or I, or I wish there was more examples here. It was just from, from my experience being in classes. One of the changes we made at UCB, and I think this is unique to UCB, was we tried to have – we made a change in like 2010, I think, to have less openings in the lower levels and more seats. We, we were big on teaching openings and how to like initiate – from an opening, and we did a lot of that. We made the decision to cut all that out of the lower levels so there'd be more time for just doing scenes off a suggestion. That, that, that was a kind of a big change. I think the most interesting thing was the UCB had a curriculum. I think it's really hard to get improv teachers to do things the same way. They all, wanted, they all want to do it their own way. And finding the balance between letting somebody do their thing the way they're good at it, I mean, you need to give teachers some freedom, but you also want to, if you're in a school, you, you want to all be on the same page about some stuff and you want the students to have a common experience. So that balance is really hard. The way we ended up doing it was level one is very prescribed. It's very like, it's very fixed. But level four is very open. It's almost half completely open. So the teachers can do what they think is needed. You know, and so and it, and it goes through that progression. Level one is very structured. Level two is a little less structured. Level three is a little less structured. And level four is open. And then level five is completely open. Level five is teacher determined. Do you have a favorite class in that lineup that you'd like to teach? I like three and four. I like when they've been through the basic 
graphics a little bit, but they're still very new to it. And I like teaching the stuff that the other teachers are scared to teach. What are the stuff that other teachers are scared to teach? I'm scared to teach is unfair. They would, that's not, I, I like being the guy who can do the stuff that everybody else says is too hard, I guess. So that's openings, okay. openings and second beats. That's, okay. that's what I like to be good at. Not at this point, but when you, maybe you're first teaching it, sometimes I'll teach stuff that I know that like, I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm still struggling with that. I'm going to go do a workshop on that. Um, do you think that's how that sort of came about or that was just something you're just like, oh, I just enjoy seeing them light up and taking on this challenge. I, I think we're all good at teaching whatever was hard for us. Like whatever we had to really consciously learn is what we know the best. Ironically, like, I didn't feel that comfortable just acting, but I felt pretty comfortable on sort of the, on the witty side of improv. And, you know, if you're in the desert and you figure out how to build a house, but you had gallons of water with you and someone's like, teach me how to get water. You're like, I don't know how to do that, but I will tell you how to build a house. And, and I think we're harder on students with the things we don't like about ourselves. You know, I, I, I have, tr- I, I sometimes have trouble committing or being, serious in a scene and so when i see students do that i'm really hard on them because i think i'm i get scared because i know that in myself it's really fit in me and i'm more forgiving of them stuff that i that i forgive myself for you know yeah that's a really interesting um observation and now i'm trying to think if that is what i do i would get notes all the time coming up like you got to be more in it you got to commit more you're not you're detached and so I think I'm hardest on that. It's just like, you know, it's just like a dad, a dad, stereotypically a dad who's very competitive about sports is hard on his son about sports. You know, you just, you're, you, your students, be, you're, you get involved and you project yourself onto the students. Part of trying to get better is, um, is trying to keep it simpler. Like I try, I tend to overcomplicate it in my head and sometimes I'm like, uh, it doesn't need to be complicated for someone who's doing it for the first time. Like stick to the basics. Like I've thought about arguments so much and the right way to do fights and the wrong way to do fights. I think about that so much, but a lot of times the advice that is needed in the moment is way simpler than whatever I've thought about. You know, sometimes just going like, J- just say yes is all somebody needs to hear. and They'll do the right thing. Instead of me being like, well, what's going on is you actually need to say yes to what's you're being told not to do because that's the yes and and this is a hidden thing. And, you know, in improv, a lot of times it's like what you're told not to do and they don't need any of that. They just need me to go say yes and like that'll work. And I'm trying to find more ways to shrink my teaching. So with UCB, do they have you guys uh, have students do evaluations at the end of every uh, round of classes? Yeah. Did you ever get one that you were like, ah, or do you, have you always been honed in on like, I kind of know myself. I'm not surprised that I got this evaluation. Yeah. I've definitely gotten negative ones that have made me feel like, Ugh. um, I, I, I really like teaching. So I, I feel pretty invested in the class and I feel like I'm paying a lot of attention. So sometimes there'll just be people who are like, I got nothing out of this, you know, or like, um, he just, he and I did not jive at all. And I really couldn't, this was a very hard class for me and I'll feel bad. Uh, and I start to think like, Oh, could I have done something? And 
And, I, and I've had to learn to just let that go, just, just like as a performer. Like, not, none of us are perfect teachers, and we all have our own energy that works for some people and works less well for other people. And I, I do try to improve as I go, but just you can't change that basic chemistry vibe. You know, you can't force it. I think evaluations can be hard also for people who are newer to it. Um, because just like when you first maybe get notes, if you weren't a theatrical person to begin with, instead of taking it, you take it personally versus like, Oh, this is what I need to be working on. Uh, so I always love to hear, especially people who've been teaching a long time, like their experience with evaluations and, and that kind of thing. And, and I always think there's also an outlier all the time who's like, yeah, that guy didn't give me anything. Oh, what are you talking about? Like every class I would talk for 45 minutes, you know. Uh, or if you know you're a talker, then you get like a, a, fee, a feedback form of like, they never explain anything. You're like, what are you talking about? Look, that, that can't be right. Yeah, there's certain notes you're expecting, and then if you get something else, you're like, what? That's not the right way to criticize me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have plenty of ways to criticize me. So if you'd like to know, please come see me and I'll, I'll be happy to tell you that when you, so, but you also teach on the road, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I've started to do that more and more. Yeah. So when you do that, um, that's a curriculum you're creating though, correct? Yeah. Right. Have you ever done that? Uh, uh, on the road or, or created the curriculum on the road. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'm the type of person who um, I I love I love attention, so I love, I love to go and teach on the road because I feel like it it's a litmus test for me of how I'm doing as a teacher. Uh, for me personally, being in a small community and a community where long form is newer, and um, I've studied with a lot of improvisers that people like in the improv world are like, Oh, those are quote unquote, the master levels. And if you were to say that name in my community, that means nothing to them. When I, so when I teach at home, uh, a lot of times uh, I'll get like, Oh, you're so this, and you do this so well and you're so great. And um, I don't like to believe people. So, <laughs> So I like to go out and teach outside of my community and outside of my bubble uh, to test myself because if I'm getting through to another community or if I'm getting good, solid feedback, um, then I'm like, oh, okay, I do have a grasp of what I'm doing. I do know what I'm working on. I do my, yeah, my approach does work for people. Yeah. So I enjoy going out uh, on the road. Yeah, I feel the same way. It does. It does sort of like teach you what at in a more revealing way because the students don't have a relationship with you, and um, it's it's hard. I mean, like teaching improv. I don't know. I really like doing it. I've done it for a long time, but I'm always perpetually feeling like maybe it's just impossible. Like maybe I don't. How much of what I'm saying is actually helpful? Does this exercise actually help? Um, I really try to do that. I try to really watch and be like, are they getting better? Like, is the class actually having an effect that I can see? Or because there's a, here's something, there's a difference between a class being fun or a class actually making you better. I mean, they overlap a lot and the things that make people have fun and relax is really important. 
but there's exercises that are just easy to do and fun. And I don't know if that actually leads to them being better in a show, you know, and I've, and I've taught groups where we have a great time in rehearsal and then they can't do the show. And sometimes I'm thinking like, Oh, the rehearsal is not a good testing environment for how they're doing as a show. Then like, it's not an honest depiction of how well they're doing in terms of pleasing an audience at least. So when I'm on the road, I'll be like, well, what these people are in a festival and they want to, I want them to enjoy the workshop. I want it to be satisfying, but I also want them to walk away with something and trying to balance that of having it be fun, but educational is a tough one for me. How do you, I guess the question also becomes, and this becomes sort of like a, this becomes hard for me because it's like a metrics issue and improv so subjective. So, you know, we have to look and our outcomes can be very different definitions for everybody. So when you, um, so how do you determine the outcome of like, does this exercise actually teach them something? Are you looking at then the global objective or are you always looking towards the performance aspect of it? I look towards the performance aspect a lot. I'm like, will this make the show better? <laughs> like, I mean, one good thing about improv is in a class, you do a scene, that's a that's the finished product. I mean, as opposed to a sketch class where you're reading a script and you're like, well, it depends on the performance and the production can affect it and what actor does it. But in an improv show, it's like, well, that, that's a scene. All right, did that work? So I can just sort of like be like, are they doing it right? I, I mean, I try to have it in, in, it's hard sometimes in a one-time workshop, but if it's like a several week long class, you know, there's parts where they're just doing a set and I'll try to watch it and be like, is this good? (laughs) Would it work? And they don't all have to be good. They don't all have, that's not the only thing that matters. You know, you're also watching like, Oh, are they showing good fundamentals? Are they demonstrating whatever we practiced? But part of me is always going like, is it working? Did that thing I tell them to do work? Like I was, I had this exercise I really liked for a long time about like saying yes to accusations where I would do and do just a structured exercise where it'd be like, I had two people up. First person's going to accuse the other character of something. And that character has to confess to it and have a reason why they did it. You have to agree that you did it. You can't deflect the accusation. Right. And everyone would be like, Oh, that sounds like a good exercise. We can all see how that's a good thing to practice. And we would all do it. Then I'd see a show and everybody would be agreeing with every accusation. And sometimes I'd be like, nah, that one you should have argued. That's You shouldn't do it all the time. you know. Or I'd see a show that has nothing to do with my class. And somebody would just like, just deflect an accusation. Be like, I didn't do that. And, and I'd feel it. I'd be like, ah, that was the right move. And I'd be like, oh, I taught it too narrowly. I made it like a rule and it's not a rule. Something some, some like that will happen. I'll like, I'll overemphasize something. Do you sometimes feel like though, cause I very early on teach an exercise where I specifically put them in a conflict. So I'll say two people up, uh, you're trying to return something and under no circumstances, can you take this back? And then you have to find something you can agree upon and then move from there to show, I'm trying to highlight that the conflict itself and the resolution is not what's interesting. What we want to see is, the, you know, the take, the give and take between two people in a relationship in that scene. 
But I'm also trying to early on, because I do that in my level one class, break them from going to conflict uh, because younger improvisers have a tendency to fight a lot. Right, right. I think you're right. And they make the fight the center of it. They're like, the fight and who wins is the arc of the scene. Uh, A lot of people do that. Cause a problem and then the scene will end when it's solved. That's a really common assumption that people make. I wonder sometimes though, like, but that, I do that specifically, but then like you're saying, but then as they move along, we can then open the doors of like, okay, you know how I, we taught, we, you learn this. Now I want you to unlearn it, I guess. Right. Is. Yeah. I try to do that. I try to say like, this is a training wheels approach that we're going to drop someday, but not now. So I want you to do this now, but later we'll do it differently. But they always forget that. But I try to say it at least for my sake. Yeah. I, I do a lot of training wheels things too. Um, find sometimes though I'll struggle when it's time to take the training wheels off because and then I and then I start to think like oh did I not set them up strong enough to take the training wheels off now that it's time to do that what was the best class you ever had as a student the best who um I went out McNapier I think (laughs) yeah what was that like it just blew me away there's actually a few there's actually a few instances at the annoyance that blew me away. So Nick, Mick, Mick, Mick blew me away in the fact that like he will watch you for 10 seconds and then be like, here's what I need you to work on. And you're like, oh my God, that's exactly who I am as a performer. What did he tell you? At the time, he told me that I gave away all my power by talking too much. That I could make much more powerful statements by just um, – saying a few words and just letting it be. And that, that real, that really uh, stuck with me at the time, obviously. Uh, now I never talk on stage. Kidding. Um, <laughs> I do a 45 minute one person silent show. It's phenomenal. <laughs> um, and, but also the way watching Mick watch students was also a fascinating thing. To me, I think I always watched my teachers knowing that one day I was going to be a teacher without knowing that one day I was going to be a teacher. So like he'll stand, this was at the old, uh, not at the current location where they are. So he would be on stage. People on podcasts are going to love this because they're not going to see it. But so he, we would be on stage and he would be all the way in the back and he would just, he watches and then like he plays with his cards while he's watching. Cards like playing cards? Yeah, like playing cards. And but then and he wouldn't write down a single thing. And then we would come back together and he remembered every detail of every scene and every note he wanted to give. I've heard that about Mick that he gives these individual assessments that are uh seem very true and he can do it very quickly, like after not seeing you for that long. I don't really ever do I find myself shying away from that. I I I, I think I think people put too much importance on, well, first of all, I think I'm not that good at it. I, I find I'll say something and I'll be like, that's not right. Or I don't even care about that. But if I start to give it to a couple students, I feel like I have to do it to everybody. And for five people, I'll have it. But for the other 10, I won't really have anything. And then I'm like, does that even matter? 
Like it's the, are they saying yes? Are they doing, if this is true, what else is true? Are they philosophizing? Are they playing game? I, I don't know the individual stuff. I'm like, maybe that's for later, you know, level three. Like I just need to teach them. I mean, if you're learning basketball, it's sort of just sort of like, are you dribbling? Are you shooting with, with both your feet on the floor? You don't worry about, you know, you drive to the right too much. If you're like in level three of basketball, it's like, just dribble, just dribble and don't shoot until there's rebounders, you know, pass four times before you shoot or whatever, like whatever the improv fundamentals are, like maybe just get that in their heads. For me, I'm thinking like, I think that sometimes the allure of the individual note, if it's not done by someone who's great at it, people put too much importance in it. It's almost, you're not complicated enough to have an individual prescription yet. Do the, do the basics. Uh, people want to know, like, tell me what I'm doing wrong so that I can be good. But a lot of times it's like, there is no one thing. Like you're doing everything. Okay. You kind of just need to do everything a little quicker and more smoothly, but you're actually doing it. All right. Right now. You're just, you're just, your muscles are small. Well, and, and that's the thing is that what might get you there is just more reps and more time. That's the real, that's the real note. Unfortunately, is like, you need to do a hundred more scenes. Uh, you're not doing anything wrong. If you look at somebody who was swinging at a baseball and they missed they're like, what did I do wrong? It's like, hey, you did it right. You swung it pretty close to the right time. You swung at the ball and you missed because it's hard. And uh, the most professional people in the world miss seven out of 10 times. So just practice more. You didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Um, th and that's something that, so, but my life, for me, my next big thing, uh, and this is no secret to people who know me, like Paul Valancourt, I always joke that um, if I were to have an improv Patronus, it would be Paul. And for me, the very first time I had him, um, that was an experience for me because uh, I don't know if you've, met Paul or not I have not uh, okay Paul in of itself he's 6'5 he's big guy he takes up and he's you know 30 years into this so he comes into the he is the room and he's super high energy which I am and I'm like oh my god that's like oh I get it and so my experience with him was just like oh everything he's saying is making so much sense yeah 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 and then things I've learned from him or the just being friends with him for a long time um, in terms of like the note stuff, because one of the things I'm a big proponent of is giving uh, is is do is giving an email after every week of class of recapping of what we did, giving trying to give a little bit of homework that they can do on their own. Um, but then I know that people love feedback. And so. At the end of class, like every like six or eight week session, I try to do a one to one. And like you said, it's like, oh, I can come up with things for five people for sure. But something that I learned from Paul was um, you can give the just like what you're saying is like you can give the same note to two different people because chances are they both need to be working on that. Yeah. So that really resonated with me and took a lot of pressure off of because I because because he's had such a big influence. Uh, um, uh, we do a lot of things from the triangle to scene, which is his how he's just honed down his philosophy of um, scene works come down to there's uh, there's two people in a scene. Right. So there's there. And, and he defines game, if you will, as like their big relationship drive, their big character attribute. So someone who has a problem with authority 
and someone who always sees uh, everything as half the glass always half full. And then the third part is their activity or environment that they're in. And then we take all of those and we just rub them up against each other. Um, and we can see what happens from there. And, and that's the very fundamental of it. Um, so we do a lot of what we call triangle the scene reps and exercises. And so because it's so focused and I, I, but I think this is also true of UCB and you can tell me is that like the, the great thing about having a clear definition of how we define triangle scene and defining the game is that when I do give notes, I can specifically say, great. So what was the triangle in that scene? Yeah, that's a useful teaching technique for sure. I found that to be helpful in a lot of instances for me. But yeah, like a lot of times I'll be like, you want me to give you an, like, uh, do you want me to really tell you how I feel about how you're playing? <laughs> or do you really, like, I don't, I don't know if you really want that honesty from me. And I don't know. And then I have to check myself because am I giving you a note for the player I want you to be or the player that you are going to become, and we just don't know what that is yet. Yeah, that, I think that's the challenge of individual feedback. Everybody wants it, but I don't know if I if I personally am good at it. And I'm not as interested in it because I feel like people pay too much attention to it. Although, yeah, there's ways to, of course, there's ways to be good at it and do it well. I like the idea of giving them a process they can walk away with, you know. If the, if triangle works and they can be like, they can ask themselves that later, that's a good thing to be able to do. Yeah, I'm a big proponent. Uh, so I call it the – I'm going to get in trouble. Uh, I call it the rainbows and unicorn bullshit of like there's teachers out there and I like them a lot. And I've had, I've had a lot of them and, and, and I think that what they teach is really important. Does your spirit right now have a unicorn and a rainbow on it? It's, yeah, it totally does. But – the unicorn horn is a chainsaw cutting through the rainbow. So to I be see, okay. fair, it's yeah. a badass rainbow and unicorn. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Got it. I feel like those teachers are great when you're at a certain point as a student or former player. But when you're learning, whether you're learning Herald or you're learning a form or you're learning a two-person scene – to tell me, like, just feel the moment and we're all here to love each other. And, and I don't not believe in that stuff. Like, I'm, I mind the biggest proponent of support, support, support. Like, I, I can only make big moves if my team is supporting me. But that doesn't help me when I'm like, yeah, great. I just got lost in a scene. I don't really know who I am. I don't really know who you are. I don't really know where we are. Right, right. Yeah, the lovey-dovey stuff isn't so practical. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm more of a teacher that likes to give practical tools, I guess because I like to have practical tools. So when I'm in a scene uh, and I start to get like, ah, where's this going? I can be like, oh, right, but I remember who I am and I know where I am. So I'm just literally right now going to go into my environment. I'm going to grab something and discover it. And that's going to keep us moving forward for right now. Right. Right. Yeah. Or – Yep, this pattern has emerged. I need to follow this pattern, right? Like, this is the game we've developed. Let's just keep following this. Uh, the founders of the UCB, the UCB themselves, I always, I always found them to be very practical teachers. They weren't, they weren't so concerned about being inspirational, um, not directly anyway. Like, they were just trying to give tools that worked for them. They wanted you to be able to do those tools. And they definitely put their money where their mouth was. Like, they played the way they taught. For sure. 
taking Ian Roberts class and you watch him do a scene. It's like, he's doing what he said. Same with Besser, same with Walsh, same with Amy. They like, they did it the way they said. Do you feel that pressure as a teacher to perform when you get on stage that you're like, ah, oh, shit, I better perform the way I teach. I mean, I do, but I have to ignore it or I can't do anything. I more like realize my hypocrisy and just am resigned to it. I'll be like, oh, I didn't do that right. But, but I, you know, if I teach a lot and then do a show, like the teacher voice is very loud in my head and it, it's a little inhibiting and I have to just like tell them to go away and be cool with the fact that I'm, I'm not perfect. <laughs> right. I, well, I think that's a big takeaway. I mean, that's not just a big takeaway for performers and improvisers as we try to hone that in, but that's a big takeaway for teachers. Uh, that's yeah. That's come up a lot in this podcast of like, yes, you're a teacher, but you don't have to know everything. For sure, yeah. I mean, I think it's really important to say when you don't know something. And then I think it's important to report your own experience with stuff, you know, to say like, well, I don't really use this or this is something I use a lot or I have found this to be helpful or I think reporting your own experience is really valuable. Now, do you guys at UCB um, – What's the policy about people going from class to class? Because like some schools, it doesn't matter. You'll just always go forward. And some schools are like, nope, we've got these metrics in place. There's a soft like pass between second and third level where some people get held back. But it's pretty it's pretty lenient. It's, it's If you're especially destructive to a scene, you'll get held back at level two. But that that's most people move on there. It's usually like either like a language problem or like someone is so, so nervous. They literally just keep bailing on the scene. Stuff like that will get held back. Um, and then between level four and five is a very strict, a strict uh, pass. Like to go from four to five is demanding. They want you to be able to play game of the scene, which is very, you know, that's a very specific thing in the UCB world. And it's hard and a lot of people get held back at four. So being that you teach three and four, you hold people back. Yes? Yeah. Okay. So is how does that come about for you? Do you do like a mid-term check-in, if you will? Like I'm going to need the following so that they're not – or is it just at the end? I've, cha- I've changed a lot over the years. What is What is recommended is to give them a mid-term evaluation – notes at the like class there's eight classes so like class five is supposed to be like here's where you're at uh and then at the end of the eight weeks you give them a written everybody gets written feedback and you know pass or repeat level and it's actually even more complicated than that i give a recommendation but then they also can apply i'm not the final word actually I give my recommendation of whether they should be passed or not. If I recommend they should be passed, they go. If not, they can make an application to the head of the school who can who can overrule me based on past teachers' evaluations. If like level one, two, and three thinks they're amazing and I say, no, you're not ready, they can apply to the head of the school who might be like, ah, Will's wrong. They're going on. They've had a lot of experience. The other teachers think they're good. It's a whole thing. But yeah, that's the way you're supposed to do it. The way I do it, I don't do that midterm evaluation anymore because I find it doesn't matter. If I think if I think you're not ready, 
at level five, there's nothing I can tell you that's going to change you dramatically. If, if there's something that's small and I think you can do it and that makes a difference, I, I'll tell you as soon as I see it. Level, I'll, I'll tell you class two, you know, like, wow, you know, you're, and it's going to be something big. It's going to be like every single offer you swat down, you're de-heightening everything. You're doing it a lot. You got to switch that. Like, that's a big problem. Like you're saying no, essentially. You're, 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 you're taking the least interesting option at every turn. You got to change that. And I'll give examples. You know, I'll be like, I just saw you do it here. You did it in Lassie, you did it in Lassie, and I need you to do it differently. But that's, that's rare. That's like maybe one out of every three classes I'll have somebody like that. Um, and I'm giving notes the whole time, hopefully, to everybody about the way I want it done. You know, what was ECBS doesn't have a, that doesn't, I've never heard the triangle model. I mean, I can hear where that sounds good, but I, I haven't had experience with that. The way we do to ECB is like, Base reality, unusual thing. If this is true, what else is true? That, that's kind of the thing we hit a lot. Was there a base reality? Did everybody just agree on the who, what, where? Okay, good. Was there something unusual? Did something happen not the way we would expect it? Okay, great. And then did we do if this is true, what else is true based on that thing? And we, we ask that a lot. And if I'm doing my job right, I'm hopefully doing that all the time. I mean, I'm noting them the whole time. So I, and I, and I'm also more generous than other teachers. If, if I think they're going to get it soon, I'll pass them. And if I, if I think, yeah, you know what, you're particular, yeah, you could really use another round. Like you're, you're, you're like a little bit, you're, you're a little kind of a level back Then I'll say you should do this level over, but I'm more generous than most teachers. I kind of think that we have auditions to get on teams. And my own belief is that that's the gate. Uh, I'm, I'm into more people auditioning and the audition should be hard. And I kind of think a class isn't the best place to make people feel like I got to beat a standard. I mean, I think it's, a, I think notes should be notes should be honest and they, they can be harsh. Like my, you know, well, you didn't have an unusual thing in that scene. Oh, well, you know, I, you, you had an unusual thing, but we didn't do enough with it. Or we weren't agreeing on the base reality. You were disagreeing very early and then held everything up. Those, I think that's what you're supposed to do. Not even harsh, but just like fully honest. You know, don't say anything good that's not good. But then when it comes to being like, how do I evaluate you as a performer? I'm pretty generous, you know? I'm like, well, you're following all the notes. I can see you doing better and making these decisions. Therefore, I think you're doing it right. You know, I think like, where are you at in terms of the great spectrum of all the students I've had? You're probably right in the middle, probably. And um, I mean, I've seen thousands and thousands of students. I, I love it when somebody asks, are we the best class you've ever had? Because I'll be like, no, there's no way. Barring the like, uh, looking for the goals and objectives. Have you ever had to ask someone to leave a class because of their behavior or because of something just crazy off the wall? Uh, only one time where there was a woman who was a uh, paranoid schizophrenic who like accused me of breaking into her house and stealing sketch ideas from her computer. And that she was coming to my shows with a tape recorder to prove that I'd stolen stuff. 
we had to ask her to stop coming. Were you all aware of the uh, diagnosis ahead of time? No, 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 no. We didn't know. It was a it was a level one class. She was actually very pleasant. Like her manner was very nice. She wasn't like a raving lunatic. She just would kind of politely come up and ask me why I'd stolen her sketch idea. And I swear I thought she was joking the first time she did it. It was I thought it was the the most dry sense of humor I'd ever run into. Uh, but then, like the third t- the third time, I was like, "Oh, oh, she's deluded. She thinks she really thinks I'm breaking into her place. Oh, that's so strange." It was funny to her because she was convinced. It, she wasn't like, and she wasn't really angry. It was a strange thing to encounter. I mean, I felt bad for her. You know, I was like, I mean, it, on one level, that's ridiculous. On another level, it's like, wow, you really, you think it's true. That there's no way I can convince you otherwise. Will you uh, stop seeing, are you the type of teacher who stops scenes when you see them going, and not in terms of like, you're not hitting your base reality, like all those kind of things, but like, it's going off the rails because it's getting too hypersexual or it's getting too racist or, or whatnot, or do you, play or are you the teacher who plays it out and then has the conversation i uh the first time it happens i'll let it play a little bit but i'll stop it pretty early um and just give an example and then it it, i'll almost always stop it actually but there's sometimes if they're really good students and they hit into a dicey area and i but they're playing it sort of truthfully and i think this one might work out I'll let it go and be like, yeah, it can work. If you keep it truthful and you have a really good handle on your point of view. But I usually stop it. I'm careful with how I I talk about it though, because I don't want any uh, free speech battles. People will fight to the death for their right to do anything. And it gets annoying. So I never ban anything. Nothing's banned. Because as soon as I say something's banned, it's all they want to talk about. Actually, the only thing I ban in my scenes is high fives. No high fives. Do I just do people high five that much in life? The answer is no. No, they do not. So I, for, just for fun, I make it a hard rule that no one's ever allowed to high five. And they'll fight me on it. They'll be like, what if this happens? Can we high five then? And they'll invariably high five just to piss me off. But I don't care. So – but that, but that serves as an example of if I banned, for example, a word, they'll want to use – all they'll think about is using that word. So nothing is banned. But I'll just say like if you go near something that's like racial or sexual, the audience is going to be really interested and they're really going to pay attention and you're going to have trouble. It's like ice on the road. Like you're not a good enough driver yet. You will skid out. Someday you're going to have to learn to drive over ice for sure. Ice happens, but uh, you're not good enough. Don't put ice in front of your car. Like you're not, it's just, just, just avoid it for right now. In general, I said, and if it happens, just try to be truthful and realistic and we'll see. Oh, I do have a call. I do. I, I, there's no miming sexual activity. I make that a rule. I was like, we don't know each other well enough. So you're not allowed to mime any sexual activity. You can talk about it and you can say that it's happened in the past. That's Okay. But just because we don't know each other, you're not allowed to show anything. And people are cool with that. They don't fight that one. Uh, but I mean, but you can talk about it. Like you want to, that, that's, that's my way in of not having it be a totally banned. So 
yeah, the first time it comes up, I'll just be like, all right, no miming sexual activity. Uh, these areas we should tend to avoid. If we want to try them, we can, but it'll probably be a little tricky. I, I'm real soft on it because I don't want to start any. I don't want any. It's you, the worst person in the class will fight their whole life to do an offensive scene. So I don't make it a fight. And if and then and then later, if it goes there and I've given that talk already, I'll see what happens. I'm also willing to be wrong. If they do it and I'm like, you did it great. That was a great scene. Like you kept a clear point of view. It was really truthful. It worked. You, you managed to, you kept your car straight on the ice. Do you find with your approach to teaching that you um, will get resistance and feed and push back on feedback or you do you find you don't get a lot of it? I don't get a lot of it. If I do, if I get two pushbacks, then I give in and don't give a note to that person the rest of the class pretty much. If somebody's pushing back a lot, I'm like, oh, they just don't want any feedback. That's I'm cool with that. I'll just keep going. And I, I, I can't even remember the last time it's happened in upper levels. It doesn't, doesn't in lower levels, it'll happen more often. And it's because they're nervous. And I'm like, all right, I don't need to give them any notes. I mean, unless there's something very egregious, I won't say anything. I'll just say, great, two more. Do they uh, notice that, though? Because I feel like... They don't notice. I mean, I guess I can't say for sure. They're not showing any signs of noticing. I'll just be like, you deflected. You said no. What? But I was doing this. Yeah, but like they did this. And so you're saying, it. well, I think I should do this. I'm like, okay, two more. Next time they do a scene, I'm like, okay, great. I'll, I'll only, with them, I'll only note the most egregious denial. Like if it, it'll be like, you said swamp. He said it was in a store. It's got to be in a store. And they won't argue that. They'll be like, okay, right, right, right. Like if they deny facts. But if I'm like, you denied the spirit of it, they'll argue that. I'm like, okay, great. Have fun. I've done it for 15 years and everybody likes me and no one knows who you are. But okay, that's cool. Do it your way. I, I, I love that, actually. Uh, I get It's so funny because – and it's and it, I know it's because I'm not the person who would push back on notes anyways. Because in my mind, I'd be like, oh, my God, I would notice and stop someone stop giving me notes, right? Like I'd be like, what? What did I do? But I wouldn't be in that situation to begin with. So I think it's because they're just, they're just very nervous. They can't handle the argument in front of other people. It makes them feel bad. So they just have to take whatever they want to take from it. Like if you ask students years later what they remember from your class or any class, the stuff they remember is not necessarily what the teacher was most interested in. It's just whatever they were ready to absorb. I feel like the lessons stick when they're ready to stick, and you might not be the one to give it to them. So whatever they remember, they remember kind of like I, that's the other reason why I want to just, if I can be, just be saying the same things over and over again, because I never know what the day is that it's going to lock with them. That, I think that also comes down to, um, and it sounds like both of us have this is like, but we also know what it is we want out of the scene. So we know we can say it over and over again versus looking at a scene and not necessarily having that super clear like point of view as a teacher of like, I want this out of this scene. And and then you're talking your way through figuring it out while you're teaching, which when you're a new teacher, I know it's going to happen. It's okay. But it's not, it's not necessarily helpful to the student receiving the note or the feedback. With that in mind, do you have, I call it like the typical improv setup where people come in, you schmooze a little, then we get class started. Any questions? Did you see any shows? Go into, ex- I like rituals, so go into exercises. I always do the same two to warm up and then I add a new one. Then we go into exercises. So warm ups, exercises, um, 
and then scenes and then what, and then maybe forms depending on where we are. Do you have that kind of setup or are you doing something? What two warm ups do you do? Um, I like the one where it's yes point. So if I point at you, uh, you say yes. And then that means like, right. And then I just like passing the clap around. Um, those are the two I really like to get us started with and then go and find the weird, crazy ones or whatever. I, I try my best to find one that will uh, lead into what we're working on that day. Um, so if we're going to be doing a lot of environmental work, I like to do a lot of these are five things so we can name five things, you know, like give me five things you find in a pirate's booty locker, right? And that kind of stuff. So I try my best to tie it in. Uh, sometimes I get bored. So I'll be like, what do people want to do? <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah. If I have a class that doesn't, um, is struggling with maybe some sort of concept, I try to find a warm up that really highlights, you know, like letting go or not thinking. So I'll try to find warm ups that, that kind of do that. Um, and then for me, I always start my drills and exercises with two people just running triangle the scene exercise, a quick two or three minute scene, not a lot of notes on it, just sort of like warm up, sprints, if you will, and then go into the other exercises that I, I want to get going. I like that. Why do you do that? I guess it's like basketball too, right? Dr- fundamental to me, the triangle scene is the fundamental part of a scene. That that two play that to me a two person the atomic level of a scene is the two person scene. And if we are doing everything uh, at ad lib via the triangle of the scene, then we need to run those reps every time we come into uh, to the space. Um, it gets us warmed up. It gets us in the mindset. It gets us also. Because if you do this and you're like – because this is the way the exercise goes. You and I get on stage. I'm going to say to you, you have a problem with authority. And then you're going to give me back with like you are always positive or something, you know, whatever the big thing is or kind of thing, right? And uh, so we gift each other. So we're working on the habit of I give the gift to my partner. Um, And then one of us goes, now let's get back to and just find the simple activity. Doing it over and over again. I feel builds the muscle memory, but it also makes you work through getting past the same game over and over. So you may do a little thinking before you come in because you're like, I know she's going to run this. And I always give someone the problem with authority, right? Like that's all I give away. I better come up with some better character drives. So that's why I like to do it. And it just, it, I just find that it, it, I do it in all the levels too, so that, and then the scenes, those, those, they get more and more interesting as these guys go through it more and more in each level. Do they ever do where they give themselves the gift? Where they say, I'm always positive? In level one, I am constantly like, you didn't gift your partner, you didn't gift your partner, you didn't gift your partner. And then we get to a point where we do an exercise where I teach them how to gift themselves if their partner doesn't do it so that they can come in because it's absolutely okay to be like, look, I'm the kind of person who – and then gift yourself. Because the truth of the matter is you're going to play on stage with someone at some point who either doesn't know the style you're playing from or uh, is terrible at taking care of their partner. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say terrible for taking partner. Their way of taking care of their partner is by taking care of themselves, right? So you, so yeah, they. I will teach them to do it, um, but it's one of those rules where, like in the beginning, I don't relent on the you parts. I'm also a big proponent in um, 
there's the I muscle and the you muscle. And the I muscle is really, really strong because we love to talk about ourselves and taking care of ourselves is easy and being, you know, all that stuff. The you muscle is the one that's not as strong. So we need to be working that out and getting that as strong as our eye muscle so then we can make the conscious choice of whichever muscle we choose to use. Uh, I like to uh, start right away with warm-ups. I don't do any class business or schmoozing. Right when the right when the class starts, I get them all up and do warm-ups. That way if people are late, they walk in and they're missing warm-ups and they won't I don't want to have to discipline people on it, but if they walk in and something's happening, they hate that. So they'll be more likely to be on time the next week. Not everybody, some people are always late, but like there's some group who will skip schmoozing and skip attendance, but if they're going to miss their warm-ups, they'll be there for it. So I get them right up and do warm-ups, hopefully no more than between 10 and 15 minutes. And then I, I like to do short scenes, warm-up scenes also, just two-person scenes. I don't have them structured like that, though, but just a suggestion. You go for like a minute and a half, two minutes, no notes. Everybody does a scene. Maybe I'll note something, but it's going to just be like you missed a – you didn't listen or I, I probably won't even say anything. And then um, I'll have everybody do two. And then I move into the exercise of the day. The classes are three hours. So there's a break at an hour and a half and I'll do attendance after the break. I'll do other class business after the break. Um, but I don't like to talk about it. I like more time up if I can help it. We're at a point right now where we're small enough that that, that isn't an issue uh, because we're having classes that are like 10 people. But I can totally see, because so what, like when I do go out into like festivals and teach there, those are usually the bigger classes that you'll get, and you're like, oh yeah, I just got, I got to keep this going, keep this going, keep this going. Um, yeah, I'm sure where you are, that's always an issue. Yeah. Yeah, there's 16 people in every class. Yeah, I did, my favorite classes were ones where I felt like I got a lot of swings at the pitches. So I like, if I, I certainly don't always do it, but I'm hoping to get people up a lot. I like, I like that you also just go right into it so that people know they're going to miss their warmups and stuff. It doesn't, if people come in late and they miss their warmups, it doesn't throw me off. Um, but it might throw them off. I want people to be on time. I should give them something right at the top that they want. I don't know. It seems fair. I want you to be here in time. So I'm going to do something right away that you'd want to be here for which is you doing something. Oh, you know what it was? When I used to run the school, I would read evaluations. I, I forgot how I started doing this. And a lot of times the evaluations say, class wouldn't begin for 20 minutes. And I'd be like, is the teacher not getting there? Because I consider class beginning as soon as the teacher starts taking attendance or doing stuff. But they'd be like, oh, they don't consider the class starting until they get up. I wish class would start before 10 minutes in. And I'd be like, oh, they don't think it starts until they get out of their seats. Oh, okay, great. I'm going to start right on minute zero with them getting up. That's where I got that from. What kind of advice do you have for people who are new to teaching or thinking about teaching? Uh, you're teaching fundamentals and form. So don't worry about if they're doing – don't worry about if they think – if they're the kind of player you like or not. Just like if they're doing the right fundamentals and the right form, do you taught it right. And think about what people remember from their improv classes 10 years later. What are the things that people remember? They remember like saying yes and like going with it. And like, those are the kind of, make sure you get that stuff in there. Don't, don't, the fundamentals are not what you wish the fundamentals are. Like teach the fundamentals and also be nice to yourself. Like you'll, 
it's just like anything you'll get better as you go. So oh, no, oh, pre- pretend like somebody you really admire is watching you now and then that'll make you sit up straighter. Like the stat, the status can really distort you. So pretend like someone that you think is much higher status you is watching you and you'll, it'll make you sharpen up a little bit. Just now, just now and then. That's great. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot, actually. If people want to find you, where can they do that uh, on the on the World Wide Web or whatever we're calling it these days? Yeah, I have a Twitter account. That's Will Hines, W-I-L-L-H-I-N-E-S. And I'll announce stuff there. And uh, that's probably the best place. I, I, wrote a, I self-published a book that you might like. And you can. I have a website where you can read like 15 pages of it as a free sample if you want to check it out. Oh, it's called How to Be the Greatest Improviser on Earth. And... Um, I do not fulfill that promise, but it's a fun title. And I just uh, search for it on the internet. You can find it if, you, if you're interested. No, no, no big. <laughs> <laughs>